few years ago, living in Los Angeles, I'm driving in traffic at six o'clock in the morning on the 101 freeway, going to work. And we're stopped in traffic and I'm looking around. I'm in an ocean of cars, first thing in the morning. And everybody else seems anxious. They're heading to work. There's somebody screaming into his phone. And I'm thinking, what exactly are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why do we live this way? Why am I here? Instead of being somewhere else, enjoying life a bit more than having to get up, rush to work. But this is what everybody else is doing. So I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary. I'm doing something very ordinary. And then I thought, what if this was to be the last day of my life? How could I describe what my life was about? That I spent a lot of time going to work and being anxious or being afraid of losing my job, not having enough money, losing the approval of my friends, losing my place in society, that I should keep achieving things, I should be able to afford things, I should live in a better house, a better car, provide more so people would approve of me. And so while all of these thoughts are going through my head, I'm thinking this is a high price to pay for whatever it is I'm trying to do. Because this kind of a lifestyle is leading me away from what I consider to be my authenticity, which is my purpose. That I'm not here to be a machine, to live a life, to spend my life doing the kinds of things that I don't really like or enjoy. Much like most people have to. Most people do the same thing. Their standing in society and family and their friends depends on their level of success. Where does all of this come from? How did we get to the point where your worth, your value as a person depends on how well you do academically, professionally? Some people don't get the chance, but the inner voice is constantly asking you if you're headed in the right direction, what are you doing? I guess at the end of someone's life, when you um, are faced with death, you ask the question again, what was this life about? This person came, lived, suffered, enjoyed, and then died. So what was the point of this amount of time spent between birth and death that we call life? What was the point? The person, the most successful, wealthiest person dies as well as the poorest, unsuccessful person as well. From the moment we are born, we are taught that love is conditional, that we need to earn 
love and attention. One of the first things that happen when we go to preschool or school is that this is a competitive environment and that we need to earn and that we need to do better and we are competing against other people. And if we are not able to do as well in competing against other people or do as well in our studies, we are graded as not doing so well, which is one of the first sources of anxiety. And that kind of um, environment continues into adult life where you are supposed to compete and earn your way to do better no matter where you are or who you are. And so if you are not doing as well as you expect or as well as it is expected of you, that is a source of anxiety. And if you are not approved of, if you're not accepted, you're being rejected. And the rejection then goes back to the source where it all started, which is back in childhood. This system that we have, this is a new phenomenon. Ever since the Industrial Revolution, uh, this huge migration of workers into the cities, into the big cities, where the population used to live outside of the cities, then the factories and you know the, the big industrial institutions needed workers. So the workers had to travel away from home into the city to work. And this schedule of going to work in the morning, coming back home at night time, this wasn't the ordinary course of the day for most people. And so they were now turned into something brand new, which was the industrial workforce. And then now, after the Industrial Revolution, now we have the Information Revolution, which is what the Internet is. And that, is, that has even uh, expanded the working hours, because now, before when you used to leave the office, that was the end of your workday. But now you're constantly connected and you're working always. But what if you have the chance now by just thinking differently, by determining that I don't want to be this workhorse that's only here to work and produce and make money and pay for expenses and have not much time for me or my family or the things I'd love to do. The most valuable thing is the relationships that you have with the people around you. It's not how much money you make. If you have to be away from your loved ones or your family, miss out on your kids growing up because you have to go to work to make money to provide for them, you may be providing for them money, food, shelter, but they're missing out on the biggest portion of all of this, the most important thing, which is you. So I'm not saying don't go to work, don't do anything, sit at home and starve to death. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is don't let the system drown you out of your own life. It seems that there is a never-ending list of items that we need. We always need a better car, we always need more bedrooms, we always need better clothes, we always need this, we always need that. 
But there is a price that comes with all of this. We exchange our time for money. And money costs something, which is our time. When we are spending so much time away from the real thing in life that matters, which is the relationships and the families and the loved ones, we're missing out. So yes, you have to provide for your family, but not at the expense of your family. Because you could raise a family, you could send your kids to the best schools, but have no relationship with them, or have no quality time with them, or have no memories with them. Then what did you gain exactly? Was that a meaningful life? Was that worth it? What we don't understand is, life is a miracle. We are a single cell that turns into trillions of cells. This, this is trillions of cells working in concert. If this isn't a miracle, I don't know what is. This is a miracle. Living in paradise, this blue-green planet hovering in space, we live in paradise, but yet we turn it into a hell for ourselves. We don't understand we're here as miracles. We have relationships, we can enjoy everything. We can enjoy a tree, flowers, the weather, everything. What we find so much to be miserable about, the system that we've created out of our fears, prevents us from enjoying life the way we're supposed to. I'm supposed to enjoy my child growing up. I'm supposed to enjoy my relationship with my spouse or my parents or my friends. But if my time is being spent, my focus is spent, my worries, my anxiety is spent on making a living, I'm not really making a living. I'm not living, I'm existing. I'm existing until my time comes up. And if you look back again at a life like that, is that a useful, is that a useful way of spending a miracle? Is it? I don't know. I mean, if I were to spend a life like that and being given a second chance to go back and do it over again, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't care about a lot of this stuff. I would care about that meaningful conversation I can have with a friend because I know that moment's not going to come back. I'm not going to miss out on this chance of having a good meal. I'm not going to miss out on this chance of having a laugh. You know, statistics for unhappiness in the US are staggering. This is a wealthy nation. Why is there so much unhappiness? Why are people reporting? There's, um, there's a statistic, 83% of people are reporting they have job-related stress. Where is that coming from? Look, we have luxury cars, we have luxury homes, we have luxury everything. How come is there so much unhappiness? If you look at the statistics for drug abuse, for um, all kinds of addictive behaviors, 
all kinds of coping behaviors, all kinds of mental disorders, all kinds of prescription drug abuses, all kinds of illicit drug use. You look at these things and you go, what is going on here? Why are these people not happy? What is creating so much misery? And I will tell you in short, what is creating so much misery is the lack of meaningful relationships. That's what's creating so much misery. Because no matter how many cars you have, no matter how many luxury homes you have, if you don't have meaningful relationships, you have nothing. You have nothing. Which is why, surprisingly, in a society such as America, you find misery at the very top. It's interesting because you think, oh, this man or woman has so much success and fame and money. Why are they miserable? Why are they unhappy? Why do they use drugs? Why are they addicted? Because we equate success and money with happiness. Happiness can only be found in meaningful relationships, in authenticity. You know, the value of one close friend who can come to the rescue, who can be that shoulder for you to cry on, who can be someone you can have a heart to heart with, is immeasurable. You can't compare that to wealth. You can't compare that to anything else. Imagine a person on an island and given the circumstances, they're the most successful person that can be in the world. Imagine. But there's no audience. There's no one to applaud their success. That success is meaningless. Success needs an audience. And so you are playing to an audience constantly, supposing that this is going to bring you happiness. It doesn't. It can give you power, sure. It can make life easier, yes. But it doesn't bring you happiness. It makes things easier, yes. But nobody needs 10 bedrooms. You need one bedroom to sleep in. So if you're spending your time trying to add another bedroom, if you're spending your time trying to add another car, if you're spending your time pursuing more and more and more, believe me that you are exchanging something for that. If you are focusing on that, you're focusing away from what matters the most. Again, which is the value of these relationships that you have around you. Those are the things that maintain you psychologically. We look forward to vacations. These vacations are like those sunny spots in the middle of storms. You look forward to these things. We set aside a time so we can be happy. We are happy because we believe that we leave our troubles behind. Those troubles are troubles about earning an existence. So we leave work for two weeks, for a week, however long. And we go expecting that we are going to be happy because we're not going to be bothered by these other things that bother us all day, right? When you go on vacation, you're not worried about turning up for work, being late, showing up, getting a paycheck, blah, 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 project, this, that, the other thing. All you are there to do is to enjoy being and enjoy spending time with your friends and family, whoever you go to your vacation with, and having happy memories. And then you begin to think about coming back again.
to what it is you're supposed to be doing. But what if it was the other way around and life was actually that big vacation where you had to have these windows where you would work and do, do these things the opposite way. We can't fathom such a thing because it's unthinkable to us because we've been conditioned to expect that we are only going to have those two weeks per year that we can have to ourselves and to our family so we can take pictures, put it in our photo album, and then 20 years from now, when you look back, we can say we had a happy life. But you do this long enough and you condition yourself long enough, the big, big vacation comes at the end of your life, which is called a retirement. A retirement is much like a slave being given their freedom. So you had to slave away all of your life. Now they're saying, okay, you can relax now. You don't have to come to work anymore. You don't have to slave anymore. You don't have to wake up at six, five, whatever it was. You don't have to go into traffic. You don't have to do any of these things. Now you can spend time for you. And most people find themselves absolutely lost in their retirement. They don't know what to do. Or some people dread retirement because they go, but what am I going to do with my time? You see how empty life has been so far. They have no clue what to do with their time except to give it to work. <clears throat> if I don't have my time to give to work, I don't know what to do with it. This is your time. You're supposed to have your time for you, but you don't know what to do with it. You've been conditioned for this. After retirement, in old age, if you make it to old age, you start to slow down. Now you start to get to the point where maybe you begin to lose control over body functions. You begin to lose mental capacity. At that point, look back at your life. What did you do? What did you achieve? If, you're, if your life was a business project, would you call it a successful business project? Possessions, achievements mean nothing. They turn to dust, just like we do. The only thing that matters is your relationships and the quality of the time that you have. Think about your life as a vacation, as an expanded vacation, where you have time to enjoy, you give yourself the permission to enjoy because this is one permission we don't give ourselves because we don't deserve to have a good time. We must give ourselves the permission to have a good time and enjoy life as opposed to going to the factory on a conveyor belt, on a hamster wheel, happily until we drop. But Life on a hamster wheel, that's one kind of life. Step off of the hamster wheel and you go, what was I thinking? What was I doing? You want to please your boss because he holds your paycheck. You're a slave to whatever it is you're doing. You're not a slave. Are you saying you're free? Okay, then you can leave now. Can you leave now? You don't dare leave now because you're gonna lose your paycheck, so you are a slave. You've heard people ask, what is my purpose? But, but really, generally, I mean, what is the purpose for life or humanity? What is the purpose? Why are we here? And that is a question asked by someone who doesn't know where they are or who they are. When you ask a 
what is my purpose? It's like asking, where am I supposed to be going? What's my destination? That's what purpose is. But what if there is no purpose? So if there is no purpose, does that mean that your life is meaningless? But here's another possibility. The, that possibility is that you are the purpose. You are the destination. There is nowhere else to go. This is it. You have the same purpose as does that tree outside. The tree doesn't have to do anything, go anywhere. It just is. And you just are as well. There's your purpose. I think it's liberating. If you come to realize, I have no purpose. I, there is nowhere to go, nothing to do. I don't need to prove myself to anything or anyone. I just am. I am the purpose. End of story. Now I can go on just being, just like that tree is. What does a tree do? It doesn't do anything. It just is there. And you don't have to do anything either. You are the purpose. You are complete as you are. You are enough as you are. The sun shines. And the sun shines everywhere, all around, right? And we benefit from that. Does the sun mean to, does the sun mean for us to benefit from what it is? Or is it just, it, the sun just is? And we just happen to be in its path and we benefit from what it is. So what is the purpose for the sun? Is it, does it mean to shine our planet and warm our planet or is our planet in the path of what it is being a doctor being helpful to people whatever that is that's a benefit of who you are it's not a purpose so you are a compassionate empathic person as a compassionate empathic person you are just helpful to everybody so now you have studied, you have become a physician, an empathic, compassionate physician. Now you're going to ask me if becoming a physician is your purpose. Your purpose is compassion, which is who you are. But now you have some extra tools with which to help other people. Because if you were not a physician or you were a mechanic, will that change anything? If you were sweeping the streets, will that change anything? These are just different capacities, different tools in your hand. But your purpose is to be compassionate, empathic, which is what your identity is, who you are. So faith was early science because faith was trying to answer questions that early man had about himself, his environment, etc., etc. This is as the mind began to develop, the mind began to ask why. The mind wanted to know what were these different unseen forces that were influencing his life, that were influencing his well-being, food, hunting, shelter, that sort of thing. And as that started, faith took a position of being able to answer or at least providing, trying to provide answers to these important questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? 
What are these forces that are in control, etc., etc.? Abrahamic faiths that began in the Middle East um, began to give mankind a very specific set of views and instructions on where we come from, why we are here, where we are going, and what is our purpose, and all of those things. The Abrahamic faiths tell us that we are born of sin. God created man and woman in his image in heaven, gave us free will, we disobeyed God, and then God banished us from heaven unto earth. So we are born of sin and we are here because we need to earn our way back to heaven through the experiences that we have here on earth. So if you're a believer, you will know that you are born of sin. You're behind the eighth ball before you start, sort of. In the tradition of the Eastern religions and famously the Buddhist traditions, in the Buddhist tradition and also the karmic theory that is involved with um, the, uh, Buddhism, you learn that you are here because you are paying for your prior mistakes or errors or crimes or whatever. You're working a karmic death through until you stop resurrecting and incarnating and you return to nirvana, to, to heaven. So all of these ideologies will tell you that you are here to suffer for one reason or another. So you expect and you accept suffering if you believe in any one of these ideologies. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have to suffer. Suffering is not determined, it's not predetermined. And you must always feel empowered that you're able to do something to alleviate suffering. The problem with karma is that if you believe in that sort of um, ideology, when you witness somebody suffering, would you want to interfere with their suffering? Because if they are supposed to suffer in order to be able to enter salvation, if you stop their suffering, you're interfering with that greater plan. So you're passing by on the street, somebody's suffering, and you go, I better not interfere because I'm interfering with the greater plan. And so this becomes a self-perpetuating, never-ending cycle of suffering and violence. But to believe that, no, you are able to determine a course of action, you are able to choose, you are free to choose, nothing is predetermined, you're not paying any prior debts for any reason. All suffering, if you can stop it, go ahead and stop it, you're not interfering with anybody's uh, bigger uh, plan. And um, I think that right along with understanding that you are really a gift of creation, you are um, a deserving, loving, kind, gentle, capable 
being um, is very empowering to know this and it will very much positively affect the way you live your life and other people's lives. Why is there suffering? That question presumes that there shouldn't be any suffering. That's an ego perspective question. Why shouldn't there be any suffering? Now, suffering is something that's divided into different parts. An earthquake we call a natural disaster. That creates suffering. Tornadoes create suffering. But these kinds of things have been going on ever since our planet came into being. In fact, ever since the um, known universe came into being. These are consequences of natural evolutionary forces in play. The Earth is made up of this core that forces uh, these other plates on the surface to move. They move against each other and whoever happens to be living on the surface is impacted by these movements. So this is not something that's intended to hurt anyone or anything in particular. There were earthquakes 60 million years ago, 100 million years ago. We weren't there, other creatures were. So this type of thing that we call, I guess we allude to as suffering, um, because let's say um, an earthquake or a tornado hits an area where people live, people are killed, and we look at that and go, this is suffering, why is this happening? This is happening because of the natural consequences of evolutionary forces that have been in play ever since the uh, known universe came into being some 13.8 billion years ago. And so that cannot be looked at as suffering. But there is also another type of suffering that we can look at, which is created by man. The kind of suffering that is created by man, such as war, such as famine, which is caused by war or other actions of man, Injustice, that, is, that causes suffering. Disappointments that we go through. Sometimes we look at a child with cancer and we go, how can a creator allow such a thing to happen? And, and, and the answer to that question is that again, just as in the earthquake, these are evolutionary natural forces in play. And if you look at this child's cancer, you probably are going to find genetic components that date back to previous generations that just happen to manifest here and now. Um, a school of thought such as the karmic school of thought tells you that this is because we need to learn lessons. This is because in previous lives we did something wrong and here now is a learning opportunity. But what is that child to learn from brain cancer at three years old, at four years? What is that child to learn? The, the philosophy of karma 
of never-ending cycle of suffering is not an answer, it's just basically um, a philosophy that fails on its face as soon as you put it to a test like that. You cannot explain such a thing. You cannot explain, again, um, a brain tumor in a child through the karmic philosophy. You can't. It only needs, uh, it can be explained through the uh, natural evolutionary forces that bring that child to the world uh, for them to be working in that particular fashion, in that particular way. We are not perfect beings, life is not perfect, and um, let's say this topic of cancer, it's prevalent throughout nature. Dogs, cats get cancer. This is just basically um, uh, something that happens to a living cell. We are made up of living cells. It happens to us, it happens to them, and so th there is no question of any suffering or punishment or intended pain being inflicted on anyone because they are good or bad or whatever it is. We ask ourselves, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And let me paint you this picture of this very, very nice person, this woman who is very charitable, very nice, very kind, loving, giving. And she decides to go on a safari in Africa. She gets on this tour bus and they're touring uh, wildlife and they make a stop and the driver says don't get off the bus because it's dangerous but this nice lovely woman decides to get off the bus and walk around there happen to be two hungry lions nearby and they attack tear her apart and kill her to everybody's horror and you look at that picture and go but this was such a nice woman why did that happen to her because it has nothing to do with being nice or not nice it has everything to do with being in close proximity to two hungry lions and they're looking at you and going, this is food. That has nothing to do with you being good or bad. So the question of why do good things happen to bad people? Well, bad, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, lots of good things happen to bad people too. How do you explain that? Because there really isn't any system in play that decides or you're a good person, so we're going to make sure that nothing bad happens to you. This is a bad person, we're going to make sure that he gets punished. It just doesn't work that way. So all of this system of justice and good and bad and good or evil or everything else comes from the human mind. We apply these standards and we apply um, these labels to everything around us and we judge everything accordingly. And then we get disappointed, why? Because a mass murderer will die in his sleep of old age. And we go, how is that possible? So now we have to create another place called hell where we designate this person for sure they're gonna be suffering there forever and ever and ever. We don't know that. We don't know if that's gonna happen. So, you know, our, our sense of justice, our value system needs to align with reality a little bit more so we're not as disappointed as we are. Because the world doesn't make any sense at the moment with these kinds of uh, uh, philosophies. Bad things happen to good people all the time. But we judge those things to be bad. 
We judge an earthquake to be bad. We judge a tornado to be bad. We judge a flood to be bad. But these are the things that have been going on on our planet for billions of years. The ice age happened because of atmospheric conditions. The heat wave happened because of atmospheric conditions. 65 million years ago, when an asteroid the size of an island collided with the Earth close um, off the coast of Mexico, it wiped out 95% of all life on our planet. 95% of all of the species that lived until that point died. The dominant species, the dinosaurs, completely died away. They were dominant for at least 100 million years. Was that justice? Was it bad luck? Was it bad things happening to good? Was it good things happening to bad? What was that? No, it was an asteroid that was in, in, in transit for hundreds of millions of years through space. It could have missed us by this much. It didn't. These are just forces of nature in, in, uh, that work. Imagine that you're hovering up above a river and you're watching what is going on down below. And there is a boat with people on it. The boat's traveling down river. And up ahead, there's a waterfall. It's a big waterfall. And you know the, the boat's headed that way and it's going to fall. And you know no one will survive the fall. You look inside the boat and you see these people, although they know there is a waterfall ahead, they know they're not gonna survive, but they don't seem to be too concerned. They seem to be focused playing a game. They're playing a game, and by playing this game, they go through an entire range of emotions. They become happy, sad, they hate each other, they love each other, they kick each other, they fight, they make peace. They, all of these things are going on on this boat as it's headed towards this waterfall. And you wonder, how come these people are not paying attention to exactly what's up ahead? Because if they did, their behavior would change because they would be probably nicer to each other. Probably they would be cooperating. Probably they would be... But that's not what is happening. And you see the boat and you watch the boat go and fall off and everybody dies. What is this game that these people are playing? This game is this life that we have built around us, this system, this what we call the civilization. Any game is a set of rules with an objective. And in that game, there are winners, there are losers. And this is the game that we play all the time while the river of time takes us towards our death and we are completely unaware of what is going on. Although we know there is death, but we don't really know that there is death because we don't live our lives that way. So we are fully focused on playing this game and we spend all of our lives trying to win, trying to avoid pain, trying to win approval, trying to all of these things while we're headed towards that inevitable fall. But every now and then you find someone who lifts up their head for a brief moment to think again and maybe to look around and see if there's anything else outside of this game. But the game, unfortunately, 
consumes all of these people to the cost of them being aware of exactly how much else there is around them, which is the rest of the universe. That this life is not everything that there is. There is so much more everywhere else, except that the game takes all of our attention and all of our focus. We are on a hamster wheel constantly playing the game of life. Each one of us is a manager of our own game within the bigger game. We are all sitting around the table playing game of Monopoly and rolling the dice. Some of us win, some of us lose. The winners feel good, the losers don't feel good. The winners are rewarded, the losers are punished, and this is constantly what is going on. And we're trying to manage and gauge ourselves within the system to see where we are, how well are we doing. Our happiness looks like this. So when we're doing well, we're happy. When we're not doing well, we're not happy. We're doing well and constantly just up and down and up and down and up and down. This pursuit of these kinds of a happiness is what motivates us from day to day because we want to be winning. Nobody wants to be losing. So we want to be up there and we want to do the things that would get us the cookie points that would then get us the rewards. We are that lab rat that constantly is pressing down on this lever to get the, um, the pleasurable nectar that comes out so he can lick it and drink and um, feel better about himself. The, the, the system creates misery, unfortunately. We have the winners, but we also have the miserable losers too. But we focus on the winners because that's where we, we would like to be. Everybody would like to be there. We idolize the winners, we'd like to be there. We strive, we do everything that we can. We can cheat and lie and do everything else possible just to be on the side of the winners and not the losers. But in doing that, we're missing out on life completely. On what life is, we have created this system which is born out of the wound of rejection um, when as little children we are taught that love is conditional meaning that if you do this i will love you if you don't do that i will not love you and then you make your way to preschool and school and they tell you if you get this grade you're going to be loved and celebrated why because we're going to give you this badge and you're going to feel better about yourself and if you don't do well, you don't get a badge and we're not gonna like you so much. So this system continues to just develop as you get older and you go into your school, you know, you finish school, you're going to professional career and continue doing the same thing. You become um, a validation seeking machine because without validation, you really have no worth. As far as the system that we've created, you need to prove yourself worthy. You need to earn points. If you don't prove yourself worthy, if you don't earn your points, you're worthless. You must earn, you must get your stars, you must get all of these things to maintain a certain amount of value. You lose these things, you don't have a value. So you become this, again, validation-seeking machine, seeking um, success after success or, or milestone after milestone after milestone after milestone. Why? Because you need to feed this feeling inside of you 
that you are good and worthy because according to the values of the system that we've created, unless you maintain these series of successes, you are not worthy. Some people, they go bankrupt and they shoot themselves. Why? Because all of their self-worth was tied to what they owned. Now that they have lost what they owned, they're worthless. There are two sets of values against which we can measure ourselves. One is the authentic set, uh, set and the other is the egoverse, the civilization set. The civilization set says that you are unworthy until you prove yourself worthy. So you go after achievements and these milestones, but the authentic um, set of values says that you are enough as you are. And as I explained before, you are a miracle as you are. There is nowhere else that you need to be at, nothing else that you need to do or anything to add. And if you have that sort of a mindset, living your life, knowing that you already are enough as you are, regardless of your achievements or wherever else that you may want to uh, be at, you're always going to be at a much happier level much sad, more satisfied level than as opposed to the other set of values which is the life egoverse or civilization values that will tell you that you need to do things to be different things to get different things in order to add value to yourself